0: Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast.
1: That's how you make an entrance. Hey, we celebrated the media team a little bit ago, but we got to celebrate it one more time because they just made me look cool. So can we give them another round of applause? That's their, that's their job description. So if... If you go to that meet-and-greet after service and connect with them in the sound booth because you're interested in, in working in that way, just remember, your job is to make me look cool. Just say, hi, I'm here to make Jason look cool, and they'll be like, all right, come on back. We're going to teach you how to do this. It's hard work, but we manage. Um, so, so I like that intro. I like the lights. I love the epic energy because it reminds me of when I was in high school as a wrestler. See, we would always run out, to like really loud, get pumped music. And, and I liked it so much, I wanted to share some of those songs and some of that feeling and some of that energy with you today. So you ready? Let's, uh, let's get that first song queued up, my media team. The media team, they're not mine, I don't own them. That, you've heard that one, that gets me pumped for church. Now this is what gets me pumped for like working out, for the high energy, ready? There it is. Who recognizes this? What is it? It's "Eye of the Tiger," man. It's like, pow, pow, pow. it's like, it's like it gets you in the mood to like, like beat somebody up. That's this song, like to face a giant in your life, and and that's a good one. Um, but we never actually ran out to "Eye of the Tiger" that I can remember. We would run out more to songs like this one. Um, you might you might recognize this. You might have never heard it in church before, but here it is. There it is. You hear it. You hear that build, that electric guitar. A cement little, little thunderstruck up in here. Who, who here knows this song? How can you admit that in church? This is church. But what's great about this song is the build, the build. And wait for it, wait for it. I might be a little early. Here it is. I think. Nope, I was early again. That right there, and that's like that's like the. It's like when you get pumped, when you get amped, but without that build, without that like intro, that like a lot of songs have that that build to that moment of victory. But some songs they don't need it. They just they just come out with the full energy, uh, like this one. Maybe you'll know this one. <laughs> Little Aussie, right? He, he knew his, his crowd was already pumped up. They were already ready. And, and we don't want to play too much Ozzy in church. We might offend somebody, so we can put that down. But, like, like there's, there's two different ty- styles of songs. There's the, the slow build to victory. And then there's the, the Ozzy, like, just, I want win. I, I'm coming for you, like, that, that high-energy song. And I actually thought about playing one of the ultimate, like, like building songs for you. But it's got, like, a four-minute, 30-second build. And, and some of you will know this one in the air tonight, Phil Collins, you know, I can feel it. It's like forever. It's like so slow. And you're like, when is it coming? And then, then like four minutes into the song, it's like, like just that, that, that like, like goosebumps all over your body. Like, and you know why it's got that energy? Because you had to wait. There was, there was endurance. There was patience. There was there was, you know it's coming, you know it's coming, you know it's coming, and then victory, like a moment. And today I want to talk about those, those all-at-once moments that weren't really all-at-once moments. They took a really long time to get there. They took some, some preparation, some planning, some positioning in your life so that that victory moment, that, that declaration could come, but you had to wait to get there. And maybe you're in a season where you feel like you're waiting, and today I want to encourage you, there might be a little bit more left before you get to your victory moment. And we're in a battle cry series. We're in a battle series. We're going to look at battles in Scripture, and, and we're looking at the, the times where were, Israel was facing overwhelming odds and... And never thought they could win. But God said, I will give you victory. And they believed in God and they saw victory. Last week, Candace started us off with a a battle where Israel was outnumbered three to one. No one would take this bet. They were going to lose. But they prayed and they fasted and they sought God. And and God miraculously, through worship, brought them victory. Victory. And today, we're going to look at another battle. We're actually going to look at a battle that you might be familiar with. And some of you, I'll say the battle, and you'll be like, okay, I know this story. I could write it myself. I taught it in Sunday school 20 years ago, all right? You don't need to tell me. I know it. And maybe for some of you, it'll be entirely new. But I hope that we all see something in this story that we can apply to our lives now so that we can get to a victory moment. We're going to be talking about the Battle of Jericho. Like, anybody know the old song? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Like, that's an old song. Like, that's like an old school. Like, like when, when my parents were kids, their parents wrote that song. No, I don't. But, but this, this is about the fact that when we face a battle, we can get a little scared. Uh, Sun Tzu wrote The Art of War in China a billion years ago. I don't know. It's an old book. But there's a quote in there that I've heard a lot of times. I, I've, I've heard it and I've remembered it. It's, every battle is won or lost before it is ever fought. And I think that applies today. Every battle is won or lost before it is ever fought. And if you've ever been an athlete, you've seen times where you lost before you ever stepped out to play. You had, maybe you stepped up to bat and you, you've struck out against this pitcher twice and you got in your head that you'll never hit. Guess what? You're never going to hit or There's been a situation at work where you knew you you couldn't succeed and you failed. You're able to win or lose battles before you ever fight them in your mind. And today I want to talk about how that happens and how we can change the outcome of the battle before the battle even starts. And God actually declares this. He says it time and time in Scripture. He actually says in Romans that you are more than a conqueror. See, a conqueror has to conquer. You are more than a conqueror because you're already guaranteed a victory. A conqueror doesn't know the outcome of the battle. They're just hoping that they can conquer and control. We are more than that. God declares that he has a good plan for us. We're going to talk all about that today, and we're going to look at the the battle of Jericho as an example. I'll give you a little history. The Israelites had just gotten out of Egypt 40 years before this. They were slaves, and they went from being slaves to being free. And Because they used to be slaves and now they were free, they they didn't know how to live as free people. And they actually spent the next 40 years learning it the hard way. God had to, to correct them and discipline them and punish them as they walked through the wilderness. And now a new generation is ready to move into a land that God promised them. It's called the promised land. It's a really easy name to remember. And as they get ready to move into the promised land, their former leader, Moses, stays on the other side, and they've got a new leader. His name is Joshua. And Joshua is going to take them into the promised land. They are going to conquer it and live in it and be blessed by it because that's what God said would happen. But as soon as they get into the the promised land, they're confronted with an enemy. See, we have a a lot of new believers in our church, people who, who lived an old way, had an old life, and God has given them a new life. And sometimes when we move into our new life in Christ... We're faced with an enemy right in front of us. And we're like, God, I thought you were going to take care of all of this for me. Israel could have said, or Egypt, yeah, Israel, I was right. Why I... Whatever. Third message. <laughs> you guys get... Israel could have said, God, you promised us this land. Why are all these enemies in it? We don't want this land. We want a different land. But he said, this is your land. And yes, there's enemies in it. You are going to face them. But he promised them victory. So they come up to Jericho and that's where we're picking up our story in Joshua 6 verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people of Israel or because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. Jericho was afraid of the Israelites because before they moved into the promised land they actually actually conquered a few other small kingdoms and the Israelites outnumbered them. This was, this was a strong enemy. You see, sometimes our enemy is afraid of us, so it changes its strategy. The enemy attacks us in a different way once we've met Jesus than before we met Jesus. Before we meet Jesus, his goal is to distract us. Don't look at Jesus. Don't look at Jesus. Don't look at Jesus. Don't look at, oh, they looked. Now I've got to attack them in a different way, and he changes his strategy. Jericho did not wanna go out to meet them in battle because they knew that they would lose. So instead, they decide to become a thorn in their side. We'll just just cower and hide in our walls. And the walls of Jericho were a great hiding place. See, Jericho had a a spring in the center of its town. And they knew with the water supply, if they barricaded themselves in, they could survive a very long time. And maybe if, if the problem stays alive in your life long enough, you'll get used to it, and you won't deal with it. And that's what Jericho wanted. Jericho wanted to just outlast the Israelites. Let's become an inconvenience to them so they'll let us be. And Jericho's walls were actually really, really strong in the ancient world. They were 12 feet high. 12 feet high. So if you just walk up to the wall, it's like above the basketball hoop. And imagine you have to storm a wall, and it's above a basketball hoop. What's the enemy going to do? He's just going to stab you. Like... Like, this is bad. And they were six feet high, so they could put three, six feet wide, they could put three men up there. These were strong walls. And they surrounded the entire perimeter of the 10-acre city. This was a, a large space. It was well protected. They actually had a tower in the center that went 28 feet high. This was a marvel. They could defend themselves well. And Israel had a few choices. How do we deal with an entrenched enemy? And that's a question we have to ask ourselves. How do we deal with an entrenched enemy in our lives? In ancient warfare, there were three ways that they could deal with an entrenched enemy. One, surround them and starve them out. They could literally just surround Jericho, keep them inside, and the people would starve to death. And eventually, enough of them would have starved and been so weak that they could just advance and take it easily, or those people would come out and surrender. They could literally starve them out. That's one plan. This plan takes time, a lot of time. It takes commitment, it takes discipline, it takes every day, it it could have taken months or even a year to starve out a city. And if they wanted to do that, they had to commit that time. Another strategy they could have done to defeat the entrenched city, they could have built large ramps of dirt. Like literally, like public works project, everybody grab a shovel, we'll build like a 30 foot long ramp so we're far enough away they can't hit us, and then we'll build it and build it and build it. We'll use it as defense as we build this. And they just slowly build a ramp. And this is, this is how they deal with it. They build the ramp up until they could get over the wall, and then they'd fight them inside. So if you have an entrenched issue in your life, you could literally slowly advance on that issue, slowly dealing with it step by step until you're able to conquer it. The third thing they could do, storm it in number. Remember, they, they outnumbered Jericho. They could have literally said, all right, everybody, charge, charged at the wall, line after line of men would die until they finally advanced and broke down the gates and they stormed inside. This would have worked. They had the numbers to accomplish this plan, but it would have been painful. Sometimes the entrenched issues in our life to deal with them all at once might work, but might be a little painful. Israel had those three choices in front of them in their wisdom. These are the ways that people deal with fortified cities. They either starve them out, they slowly advance on them, or they charge all at once at great personal loss. They find the victory that way. What are the walls in our lives? What are the entrenched issues, the battles that we face? There's addictions. Addiction is one of those fortified cities that once it gets its teeth in, it puts up its walls, it closes its gates, and it can be impossible to break down to find victory. It can feel like an enemy that you will never defeat on your own. These can also be smaller habits, maybe, maybe personal habits you have that, that God has put his finger on and say, you can't deal with that, but it has so worked its way into your psyche, your personality, that how could you ever stop, that's who I am, it can be decisions you made a long time ago that have molded who you are. These can be fortified cities, battles that we need to fight, that we're called to do. These battles can be the issues that we know about but haven't dealt with yet. They can be family issues. Listen, family wounds go deep. They can happen when we're young and those wounds can build walls that, that last for decades, generations even. You might be dealing with a wound from a great-grandfather that was wounded on your grandfather that was wounded on your father that is wounded on you. These are entrenched enemies that need dealt with, but, but how do we deal with them? Do we storm the gates, shouting and saying, we're going to fix this now or never? Do we starve it out and just shut those people out of our lives until we've built a new kingdom out of the ruins of the old? Or, or do we slowly advance? What do we do with those family issues that feel too great? to solve on our own. It could be conversations with friends or coworkers that we put off because they feel too difficult, and now it's been so long that to have that conversation would seem too painful. Or maybe it's a health problem. Those can be entrenched battles. You know, people fight for their health for decades. It could be a disease that you know is slowly working away, and maybe you've been healed of but has come back. It can be something that you've not told anyone because you're dealing with it on your own. Health problems are battles that we fight. But how do we deal with them? Remember, the battle is won before the war is ever fought. Let's read what God said about how the people were to deal with Jericho in verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, he knows all the plans. He knows what needs done. He sees the walls, the battle in front of him. I have given you Jericho. I have given you Jericho your issue. You have victory over what's in front of you. I have given you its king, its ruler, its authority. I have given you its strong warriors, its fighters, its attackers, the things that would attack you. I have given them to you. Whatever you're facing, I have given it to you. He has declared victory over it. That's what God says. And when God says something, he means it. You might not see the victory yet, but God has a plan for the victory. Jeremiah 29:11. I know the plans I have for you says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. He has a plan for you. He is ready and able to accomplish that plan. He's going to give you victory over the battles in your life that you have identified, that you know of. Your hurts, your issues, your pains, your past, whatever's in front of you, he is ready to face and help you find victory because I have given you Jericho Are you ready to take Jericho in your life? Do you want a Jericho moment? I'm going to spoil the story a little bit. I'm going to jump to the end. Here's what happens. The walls fall supernaturally. They don't have to pick up a shovel, a pickaxe, a hammer. Those walls fall on their own because God said it would happen. I don't know what your walls are in your life. I don't know what the entrenched enemy is in your situation. But here's what I know. I have given you Jericho. It's king. It's strong warriors. Whatever's in front of you, I know the God that's behind you, and he declares victory. The battle is decided before it is ever fought. Stand in that victory. This message is entitled, Battle Cry. Battle Cry. Because you have to raise up a battle cry sometimes if you want to see that victory. But God doesn't just tell them that he'll do it. He tells them how, and he gives them a plan. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. Remember I gave you three of the logical plans? One, starve them out. Two, slowly advance with the earthen ramp. Three, attack in number. Neither of those logical, well-known, well-worked plans... Involves walking in circles around an enemy carrying a ram's horn. <laughs> this is a stupid plan. It just is. Like, like, hey, you got an issue? Okay, um, walk around it. Hey, there's an enemy in front of you. What, what should I do? Uh, walk around it. It's like six days, maybe, maybe, maybe seven. You know what? Actually, actually, six days. Walk around it once, and let's read verse five. When you hear the priest give one long blast, have the people shout. That's it. I got it. What you'll do is you'll yell, yell at the wall. Just yell at it. Have the people shout as loud as they can and the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge in straight into the town. That's a ridiculous plan, God. This is a cuckoo, banana pants, like, like a toddler would come up with a better, better plan for attack. He'd be like, um, let's dig under the wall. Yeah, that makes sense, okay. That's silly, probably hard, but, but sure, at least we'll be going towards the enemy. Your plan, God says, we need to go around it. Now imagine if I ended the message here. I say, all right, I hope you've all identified the issues in your life, your habits, your hang-ups, your battles, your entrenched enemies, the, the sicknesses, the illnesses, the family problems. And I said, okay, now I want you to go home and I want you to walk around them. I want you to just, just start walking. Like, climb down off the stairs, make people feel uncomfortable, and just walk. Just walk around it. I don't want you to do anything about your problem. I don't want you to address it. I don't want you to look at it. I don't even want you to think about it. I just want you to walk around it. I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want you to tell others about it. I want you to walk around your problem. Is this a very comfortable situation right now? There's a reason that we normally preach from the front, because it's uncomfortable for people to talk to you from behind you. It's uncomfortable to know your problem and not deal with it. It's uncomfortable to just walk around it. You want to tell everybody your problem so that everybody knows. But when it's uncomfortable, we have to be okay with it. We have to be okay with the uncomfortability, the foolishness of the plan. Because when God gives us a plan, it might not make sense. It might be uncomfortable. It might seem foolish, but foolishness is faith. Will you be willing to live foolish faith if it is God's plan for your life? The things of this world are foolish in God's eyes, and the things of God are foolish in the eyes of this world. Wait until you're married. Walk into a high school and tell them that. Watch how quickly they laugh at you because that's foolishness. The world tells us we need to try on our our lovers so that we know what we want in a spouse. But God says, you are made for one person. That's foolishness to this world. Walk into a personal finance class on a college and say, I I think we're supposed to give 10% of our finances to God because that's what his word says. Why are you wasting your money? That's foolishness to this world. You know what? I think I'm just supposed to pray to a person who lived 2,000 years ago and expect him to forgive me my sins. Walk into a secular worldviews class and explain that you believe that earnestly. They will laugh at you because it is foolishness to this world. And God uses foolish things to confound the wise and bring grace to the humble. Are you willing to have foolish faith? To walk around your Jericho so that God can see it come down. He has given you a plan and it is in his word. His son lived it and walked it every day. Will you walk it? Will you walk it? Will you walk the walk or do you want to talk the talk? Do you want to say I believe or do you want to show you believe by walking around your problems because God said so? Because he said so. He didn't say you deal with it. He said you walk around it. Those entrenched issues are deeply rooted because we cannot deal with them. There are wounds that go too deep to face alone, but there is a higher power. There is an authority. And he says, I have a plan for you. Will you follow my foolish plan by faith? Hebrews says that that it was by faith the people marched around Jericho for seven days. It was by faith they marched around Jericho. Faith. I don't, I don't want to go marching for seven days. I don't want to march for one day. But faith carried their feet. Faith carried them day after day. God gave them a plan. They recognized it. And by faith, they marched around Jericho. Joshua He knew this plan. God told it to Joshua. And Joshua, he relays it to the people. And he relays it word for word. He says exactly what God says. But at the very end of his orders, he adds one step. Verse 10. Do not shout. Do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout. I was thinking about this. Why is it Joshua added to the command of God? God didn't tell them to be silent. He just told them to march. Maybe maybe they could talk. Like God didn't say. But, but Joshua knew the hearts of his people. He had walked in the wilderness with them for 40 years. He had seen them be led astray by, by voices before. This is foolish. Let's just turn around. I don't want to walk anymore. Are we there yet? He knew they'd start complaining. He knew that when, when he presented this plan, they'd walk for maybe half a day, and they'd be like, what are we doing again? Why are we walking? This is silly. I've read, I've read the art of war, and I know that if we build an earthen wall, we can climb over that wall and attack them. Why don't we just do that? Let's stop this plan. This is foolishness. See, God gave them a plan, and Joshua said, do not talk, not a single word, because he knew if they started talking, they would talk themselves out of God's plan for their life you ever talked yourself out of God's plan, God's voice, God's instructions? Was that really him? I don't, I don't know. You see, I expect that when God speaks to me, an angel, a, a bird's feather will just flutter down and land on the street in front of me. And then if I pick the feather up and I let it go, it'll start to float. That, that's how I'll know that God is speaking to me. And if that happens... Yeah, he's probably, yeah, I imagine he's be, or it's a magic feather. Always grab a magic feather. You can give it to an elephant. The elephant will fly. We all know the documentary about the flying elephant, Dumbo, right? Like, if you find one of those feathers, give it to a big-eared elephant. But in the meantime, how do you know God's talking to you? Have you talked yourself out of it time and time again? You'll never know unless you try. God told me to be a youth pastor, and I was excited, and I told everybody. And then one day, I heard some, some foolishness. I heard the average salary for a youth pastor at the time when I was in high school was $20,000 a year. And I went, what? Oh. That was the exact noise I made. What? Oh. And I went, that's, that's foolishness. I can't, I can't live on that. You know what? Why don't I... I'll just start telling people I'm going to be a high school teacher so that it's respectable and they'll, they'll understand that I'm serious. And I wanted the world to view me a certain way, so I stopped focusing on, I talked myself out of it. But when God gives us a plan, we have to prepare. And that's what the Israelites did. They began to walk. And in verse 14, we read how things are going. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. And they followed this pattern see, preparation is following patterns. I don't really like patterns because patterns are the same thing again and again. Red, red, blue, red, red, blue, red, red, blue. I just want a rainbow on my head, like red, red. <laughs> this is craziness. Like, I'm not a real pattern guy. But they followed the pattern for six days. Six days they marched around a city. Now, remember, it's a 10-acre city, and the walls are 12 feet high, so they have to be far enough outside of the line of shot of arrows so that they're away from the high elevated point of the individuals and then remember there's a 30 foot tower in the middle of the town that gives them even farther range so they're not walking around a 10 acre plot of land they're walking outside of the range the entire 10 acre area this isn't a simple hike and they did it for 6 days not speaking one word they gave up speaking because they had to prepare for the plan that God had for them Prepare for it. Follow the patterns of preparation. I'm not a big preparer so much. Like a good way to think of this is imagine you're going to the beach for a day. What do you take? You know, probably a beach towel, sunblock, a stroller, a chair, an umbrella. Um, You'd need the sandwiches or like like something to eat. Maybe if you're bringing kids, you need some toys, some shovels, a boogie board. Uh, you need their bathing suits, a change of clothes for them. You need baby powder because the sand will get all over them. Oh, diapers and wipes. And then you need the swimming diapers also because um, otherwise it'll blow up and you'll be poisoning the ocean. Like, like, it's a lot of stuff. Here's my ideal beach trip. You guys want to go to the beach? Cool, let's go. And like no sunblock, no towel. Maybe a football or a Frisbee would be great. But if you don't have it, we'll figure it out. We'll throw a stick back and forth. Like, that's a trip. Like, no planning, no preparation. Let's just go. But I come back sunburnt every time. The amount of times I've had sun poisoning is just too high. Just, just dangerous. Like, wear sunblock, kids, okay? Like If you learn nothing from today's message, wear sunblock, okay? And, and everything else I said, remember that, too. When we're, when we're failing to prepare, we're preparing for failure. That's, that's all there is to it. When God gives you a plan, he expects you to begin to prepare. And there are some plans. I don't know God's unique plan for your life, but there are some plans that I know God has for your life. One, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Get to work. Believers aren't called to be lazy. We should be some of the hardest workers in the world. If you're viewed as the lazy person at work, How are you representing your Savior? So one, plans to prosper you, get to work. Two, another plan that God has for us, salvation. See, Jesus came so that we could have an abundant life. We need to follow him if we're his believers, if if we're his followers. So what does following Jesus look like? It looks like being like Jesus. He has a plan for you, plan to be like him, become more like him. What did he do? He woke up every morning to pray. You can read it in Scripture. He found a private place to pray. He did it morning and night. He did it constantly. He was always in prayer. Are we? Are we following God's plan for our life in that way? Two, he he looked for secluded places of quietness so that he could meditate and listen to his father. Are you finding quiet places in your life? Are you removing the outward influences so that you're pursuing him? That's the plan he has for you. He also plans that you are there for others. He wanted you to go into all the world and make disciples. That's his plan for you. That's not his plan for someone else. It's his plan for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're called to make disciples. You are called to make disciples. I'm going to say it again. You are called to make disciples. Therefore, are you getting ready for that plan? This can look like a lot of things. There's a lot of steps to disciple making. We had an entire series. You can go back and rewatch it about how to be a disciple maker, how to go into the world and make disciples. But I was thinking of one this week. I had a conversation with a student and he says, I've been trying to invite people at my work to come to church. And it's just really awkward, man. And I was like, let me ask you something. Would you hang out with any of these coworkers? Have you invited them out for coffee after work? Have you, would you go watch a movie with them? Like if the new Avengers movie came out, would you be like, hey guys, let's go to the Avengers movie? Nah, that would be awkward. Okay, then inviting them to the church is awkward. First, you need to build a relationship. You need to make some connection with the unbeliever before you go out of your way to say, I know I'm supposed to make disciples. You should come to the church with me. Who are you again? Make a relationship. If, if God has the plan for you that you're going to the world and make disciples, are you going into the world and making relationships? Because that's the first step of the plan. When God gives you a plan, it's your job to prepare. When God gives men plans, it's men's job to prepare. God will do the work. We have to prepare. Prepare, prepare, prepare. And you know what? You can't prepare once for something that's a lifelong call. You have to do it daily. The people of Israel marched around Jericho six times. Daily they marched. Daily they got up and they marched, and they didn't speak a word. They gave up something as essential as communication. What will you give up daily? What are you willing to fast to see the walls of Jericho fall in your life? If you've identified an entrenched issue, what are you willing to abandon so that God can tear down the walls? What are you willing to sacrifice so that you can see the victory he has in store for you? Last week, Candace mentioned the people were called to fast and pray, to give up something essential so that they could see something amazing. When I heard that, I decided I need to fast for Easter, and I decided to give up something that was essential to me, something that was causing noise in my life. I had to cut it out so that I could replace it with my Savior, replace it with focus on who he is. And I had to do it daily. What are you doing daily? Are you praying daily? Are you pursuing daily? Are you giving up of yourself? Are you finding moments to be preparing for the plan that God has for you? Putting it into practice, establishing patterns, because those patterns create something. They create a position for you to find victory. Verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. This time, they went around the town seven times. There was something different. You see, seven is the number of completion, and God was ready to finish the work he had done. And on the seventh time around, the priests sounded a long blast on the horn, the sound of victory. And Joshua commanded the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the town. They positioned themselves. For six days they marched, not speaking a word, giving up something special. And on the seventh, they established that this was the moment. And they put in a little extra effort. Imagine you've walked several miles every day without fighting. And then on the seventh day, you now have to finish your first lap where you've stopped every day. And then you're like, there's six more. They gave A little extra on the seventh day and when he instructed them to shout verse 20 when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn they shouted as loud as they could and suddenly was it sudden they've been marching for seven days but the miracle came in a moment suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed And the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. We all want a Jericho moment. We want a miracle that appears in a moment. We want the plan for God, but we haven't put in the preparation. So we skip that step and we move to the position. We didn't prepare at all. We just jumped to the position to receive the miracle. We want to see it in our lives. We're ready for it. God, make the walls fall. But he knows if they hadn't prepared themselves and the walls fell they just rebuild them. If God tears away the gaping hole of a family wound, if he pulls away the addiction, but you haven't put in the daily effort of preparation, what are you going to replace it with? Because you haven't positioned yourself for the victory yet. The Israelites positioned themselves for the victory. They got ready. And when they got ready, they were prepared to receive. I was thinking a lot about an illustration of of what this would be like. What would it be like to to receive an amazing moment but not be ready for it? And I thought thought of think of a concert. Like a friend you know invites you to a concert that you don't know the band, you're not familiar with them at all, you've never heard their music. You it's maybe not even your genre of music. You're like, "Okay, I'll go with you." And then you go to this concert and it's Sold-out show, packed crowd, and you're sitting there, and everyone knows all the words, and your friend's sitting there, belting them out, and you're just like, okay, yeah, this is all right. This is, this is cool. And everyone has this moment, this experience, and you're just sitting there watching it because you didn't know the music. Now imagine the friend gives you the CD a few weeks earlier, and you just, you listen to it in your car on your way to work, and you get familiar with the music, so you go to the show, and you're a little bit primed. You're a little bit prepared. You're a little bit ready. You'll get more out of the show, Right? You'll you'll know the words to sing along, and you'll enjoy the concert, and you'll enjoy the band. But now imagine your friend introduced you to the band, and you got to know them. You went out for for drinks. You got some coffee, and you talked, and and they told you, this song's actually about a a breakup we had. And and this song is about when we were on tour, and and we got a flat tire by the side of the road, and how crazy it was. And, And they just tell you all these stories, so then when the music plays, you know what's going on. And you're like, ah, I know these guys. Yeah, I'm friends with them. They, yeah, this song's about his ex-girlfriend. It's great. You get way more out of it that way. Now imagine you're invited backstage. And you hang out with them before they even go on stage. And they're talking with you. And you're talking. And they're like, hey, I'm going to go sing. And, and, and this one's for you. Like, that's a moment, man. That's like, that, that would be awesome. Like, he's out there singing to thousands of people. And he's like, he's like you're, you're cool, dude. Like, that's a moment. How much more do you get out of it? when you've positioned yourself to receive from it. The Israelites had to march for six days. That's Monday, when they wake up to go to work, and and Tuesday, when things are dragging on, and and Wednesday, when they just can't face it anymore, and Thursday, when there's just one more day to the weekend, man, and then Friday, when all their friends are going out drinking, they gotta march, and then Saturday morning, when everybody's hungover, they gotta get up, and they gotta go, and they, they, they gotta march, and then when Sunday comes, They have positioned themselves for a miracle. And on Sunday, they march seven times because a little bit more is required on Sunday morning. This is why we worship vibrantly, passionately, and selflessly. Because we can't hold anything back on that seventh day. Because if we're holding something back, we have not positioned ourselves for the battle cry. If we've checked out, During the message, we have not positioned ourselves for the battle cry. If we've zoned out, if we haven't taken notes, if we haven't prepared ourselves, we're not positioning ourselves for the battle cry. And don't get me wrong, the Israelites did not tear down the walls of Jericho. God did. But they positioned themselves for God's victory. They were ready to receive the miracle. Are you ready for whatever God can do in your life? Are you prayed up? Are you ready? And if you're not, he's here. He'll give you that moment. But are you ready for the next one? Because you cannot expect the walls to fall every day. You cannot expect him to constantly tear down the walls, and then you let them be built up every week, and then he'll take them down from me. Because you know what you're doing? You're callousing your own heart when you do that. You're making it harder for yourself. And God is a good father. He won't let his children hurt themselves time and again. He'll let the walls stand because they're not ready to deal with it. But if you're ready for a battle cry, if you need a breakthrough, If the entrenched enemy has become too much and it's time for you to get some victory so that you can march unencumbered, you can march with victory and freedom, you can declare finally that this thing is gone, it is dead, the issues are past, I will deal with them, I will wake up in the morning, I will rise in the evening, I will prepare myself so that I can receive from my Savior the victory that he has in store for me. I want the Jericho moments. If you want that, Cry out in worship. Prepare your heart. This is that music that plays before you go out into battle. This is your team getting ready to run out and intimidate the enemy because you will not let him stand in your way any longer. Jericho needs dealt with today so that tomorrow you are free to march on the next enemy. You're done talking the talk. You're ready to walk around that city. Declare the walls will fall. The ram's horn will blow. The victory will come because I'm finished and done going back to the same old well and expecting the same old things. Give it up or die. They had an enemy in front of them. There is an enemy in front of you. And he says, this is just emotion. And he says, this is just fire. And he says, this is the same old. But you can say to that enemy, I'll do it daily. I'm going to position myself for victory. We're going to worship before we round things up. Would you stand with us? Heavenly
0: Father, this is your
1: moment, your victory.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.
1: Candice started this service with the word Hosanna. When Jesus entered Jerusalem the week before he was crucified, John 12, 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. This was a battle cry. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were declaring that Jesus was their king, that he would overthrow the Roman enemy, that he would conquer their enemies, that he would bring them the victory they wanted. And it wasn't even six days before they shouted, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. How quickly our hearts changed. This verse I read, this happened 2,000 years ago, one week before Easter. We're one week before Easter. We've cried Hosanna, and we've declared, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There are walls in your life that he wants to break down. Issues he wants victory over. There have been prophecies made about Easter this year. We're expecting an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're expecting to see every heart healed. We're expecting amazing things. Will you walk around your Jericho for six days? Will you pray? Will you fast? Will you pursue? Will you position? Will you plan? Will you persevere? Will you put in the effort so that you are ready when he says, shout for victory? If you're in this place, he's ready now. Maybe you've come into this place far from God, without hope. You feel so lost and broken that he could never heal you. And you just say, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. I want to turn away from my old life. I want to follow you from this day forward. I'm all in, Savior. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, if you'd say, I need Jesus to forgive me my sins." Cleanse me of my past and give me a future. I want to follow him and make him Lord of my life. If that's you, would you put your hand up? Let him know I'm following you from this day forward. If you keep your hands up, the ushers are making their way to give you a small card. And if you're in this room and you'd say, I need to do it daily. I've made a decision to follow Jesus, but I haven't followed him fully. That there is something I must give up. There is a mountain that needs moved. There is a wall that needs torn down. There is an entrenched enemy in my life I've kept hidden. I've I've hidden it from it myself. I won't even acknowledge it. And I need victory over it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. If you're ready to pray that out, if you're ready to pursue your Savior, would you raise your hands and say, I'm going to do it daily. You're committing between now and Easter, but now and this weekend, you are going to put in the work. You are going to position yourself for the victory God has in store for you. You can put your hands down and open up your eyes. In the the sermon notes on the FB Church app, you'll see a reading plan. This week, read about Jesus' final week here on earth with us. Pray for Easter weekend for deliverance, for freedom, for new life, for healing. Read about his final week here on earth with us. Study what he went through as he walked towards the cross for you. Put those words in action in your life this week, alright? Candice, would you come?
0: Amen. Would you all join me in thanking Pastor Jay for that word? Next week is going to be amazing. God has big things for us and i hope that you'll be here next week grab a ton of invitations on your way out and just get those out there this week stick around for the media team meet and greet remember right back in the in the sound booth the softball team meet and greet You the next steps hang out with us for prayer before you go we'll see you all next week